Perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. I think another trend from a consumer perspective is just the improvements in online shopping. Obviously, people mm. are shopping from home so much more during the pandemic. Uh, that's a challenge to do in beauty. When you can't try on the product, you can't put a foundation on your arm to make sure that it matches first. So retailers have really had to rise to the occasion to, to figure out this problem. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Own Your Commerce. I'm really excited for today. We have two amazing guests, Jill Dunn and Carleen Higgins, who are the co-creators of the Breaking Beauty podcast, and they have the insights on everything going on in the world of commerce as it relates to beauty. So we're going to get into a lot of trends, what's happening, things to watch out for. It's really relevant for anyone in commerce though, but specifically if you're selling anything beauty related, this is going to be a great episode for you. Before we dive in though, I have two announcements I want to make. The first one is we are going to be at Shop Talk this year. Uh, Bold will be there. And if you're not familiar with Shop Talk is, it is probably the biggest, I think it is the biggest e-commerce conference of the year. They bring in the app, the best speakers uh, from the most successful e-commerce brands. There's thousands of exhibitors there. Um, if you're thinking about going and you haven't bought a ticket yet, I personally highly recommend it. Uh, and if you do go, come by and visit us. We, we have a big booth there. It's booth number 7014. That's 7014. Come by, stop at our booth, tell us you listen to the podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff happening at our booth, but you'll have to come by and see. Um, would love to would love to meet some of our listeners in person. I'll, I'll personally be there as well as about 10 people from our team. So it's March 27th to the 30th, and I believe it's just shoptalk.com is the URL. Uh, and highly recommend going if you're on the fence and you've been thinking about it. Let this be the call to action to push you over. If there's one conference you go to in the year for e-commerce, ShopTalk is, is the one. The second announcement I wanted to make is we just released a really, uh, really cool series uh, that I wanted to let everyone know about. It's going to be a 10 part series specifically on the building blocks of a successful subscription business. The series is called subscriptions beyond the product. And what we're doing is we're taking the 10 components of a successful business subscription business and we're turning them into chapters and we're interviewing an industry expert for each one. So the first one is on onboarding and we interviewed Robert Scrub. He's an award-winning author. He's written books on successful onboarding. He knows the topic inside and out. So we interviewed him, put together some key learnings and things that you can do to make your subscription onboarding experience fantastic. Uh, which probably is something subscription onboarding that a lot of people don't think about it. They sell the subscription and that's it. But there's huge potential to increase your customer retention and so much more with your onboarding. I won't get into it, but that's the first chapter. Uh, we broke, you know, at the next chapter, There's it's on subscription conversion, acquisition, retention, churn. We get into every component of what makes a subscription business successful and we turned it into a chapter. So just go to our website, boldcommerce.com. Uh, it's going to be up at the top under the resources section, but there should also be a big banner about it somewhere on the homepage in the middle. Um, but you can always head up to resources and I think it's under uh, guides and tools uh, and it's called the subscription beyond the product series. Make sure to check it out and sign up. There's going to be nine more uh, chapters coming out and each time a chapter is re released, we'll make sure to send it to you. There's a uh, spot there you can put your email and we'll send you each chapter as they go out. Okay, that's all I got for announcements. Sorry, it was a little bit long of, a, of an intro, but those are two important announcements that I wanted to get out. Let's get into the episode. Jill, Carlene, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. It was, I know, a bit of a challenge scheduling, but we made it happen. Here you are. Thank you for, for being here. Thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us on the show. My pleasure. Uh, why don't we just start with, can, can you guys give us a little bit of background, uh, who you are and what is Breaking Beauty all about? 
Sure. So I'm Carlene Higgins, and my co-host here is Jill Dunn, and we're two former beauty editors turned beauty podcasters. We're the hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, and our show is all about the breakthrough moments in beauty. Um, So we focus on like the breakthrough products and the people who are making news and basically shaking up the beauty scene. Awesome. And uh, you recently also launched your own product as well, too, right? I think this was just uh, that was that the first one, the scrunchie, or did you have anything before that? Yeah, no, we just launched a very limited drop for the summer. So three sizes of cherry scrunchies. There's still some left if you guys want to get them. They're in the Dear Media shop. Um, So that was kind of like a little bit of an experiment. Um, We just we collaborated with uh, somebody who we knew really organically, who was um, wholesaling these beautiful sustainable bamboo terry um, scrunchies. And we just thought like, this is something that our listeners had to have. So um, Mm. we started carrying them and it was, it was really just a limited drop. We do have plans to do more merch drops. We're actually working on a rebrand right now, a brand new logo, and we're giving a glow up to our website. So there will be more kind of branded merch coming in the fall. I love that you call it a glow up on the website. So you use the, <laughs> use the same terminology on, on people as you do on UX. Of course. Yeah. So She'll how, be pretty. <laughs> yeah. Um, how has it been like you're as, as, as far as the e-commerce launch goes, how, what, any, uh, any fun, any lessons learned there? Go ahead, Jill. Uh, yeah, I would just say, like Carlene said, it was kind of limited drop. I think the one thing uh, was that we would probably revisit or do a little bit differently next time is just the price point of the item um, for a single use item. It was around like $20, $25, and it's still a scrunchie at the end of the day. So they were competitively priced, but they were, I think they were more like an add-on item. So you'd want to buy like a sweatshirt and a scrunchie mm. or like a beach towel and a scrunchie. So next time I think we would like do a bit more of a tandem uh, paired sort of offering and, or, um, you know, just come out of the gate with like a crew crew neck t-shirt or a sweatshirt. And I, I do think that um, we didn't have the opportunity because it was a little bit um, Mm -hmm. rushed to get it off the ground. We actually just kind of put them out with a bit of a paper insert with our branding on it. Didn't actually have like our logo on it or a tag sewed in. So I think these are key learnings for the next time that we're, when we bring something to our audience who are really excited, we will have it more uh, really reflect our brand and, and what we're all about. And we, I think the goal is sort of to like have a sweatshirt where people say like, what is that? Like, it doesn't like scream our logo necessarily off the top, but it's just like a cool shirt. You want to wear it and be part of that club. So that's, that's the vibe we're going for in the next, the 2.0 of our merch, merch drop. How did you get awareness to it? Was it through your, I mean, I, you have an, an audience and a following. Was it mainly your existing audience or did you leverage any other channels to, for awareness? Yeah. I mean, we had, um, we had the power of Dear Media, which is our podcast network behind us. So they yeah. helped us like with execution and the fulfillment and all of that. And so we had their resources in-house in terms of like newsletter, but then we also just uh, really used our personal connections with influencers that we knew um, and had been on our show before past guests. Mm. And we gifted like about two, um, I'd say like 50 people with or more than that, maybe with the with the scrunchies. And so that was great. We had a lot of traction on social media. And then we had um, some really nice press hits. We had some broadcast coverage on CHCH, which is a big station in Hamilton, which is like over a million reach. And then we were featured in post media, our scrunchies were featured in the Vancouver Sun, which is then syndicated all across Canada. And that's like 14 million impressions. So Mm. I think that we had a lot of luck with like, you know, just the traditional sort of like word of mouth and our listeners wanting to like scoop it up because they want to support us and they think it's cool and it's definitely a unique offering and it's sustainable and everything. But then, you know, we also had um, like industry support and then like traditional media support on it as well to roll it out. But it was the Mm -hmm. summer where no one was working. So, you know, (laughs) we launched it on July 27th. So maybe the timing could have been improved too. (laughs) Are you, uh, Sorry, I don't want I don't want to go on it too long, but just a couple more questions. Are you gonna keep it going or was this like a one-time thing with the scrunchie? That was a one-time thing with the scrunchie. Um who knows if we'll bring it back, but our focus now is really 
on more branded merch that will incorporate, you know, our some fun little like glyphs and brand marks and our logo. And it, it'll just be more branded overall. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I ask is we work at Bold, we work with a lot of like subscription box companies and it seemed like something that might be a good fit in, in a subscription box as part of, or, you know, subscription boxes at the, at the end of the day are a distribution channel. And mm-hmm. you look at someone like, like Jillian Harris, who has, you know, yeah tons of people getting it. Like, did that ever come up as a potential way to, to create awareness of it? Or would that not be a route you guys would consider? Well, um, well go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that because just speaking of our relationships in the beauty industry, um, we were approached by a brand, um, Caudalie, their skincare brand, mm. and they will be including our scrunchie in um, mailers and in box that they're sending out to all of the media, all the press in um, Canada. So it's a co-branding initiative um, for the launch of a new skincare product for them. And they'll be including our scrunchie as well. So that's what made me think of the box idea in terms of like a subscription box. We haven't really gone there, but to be honest, it is something we have a Facebook private chat room um, with 2000 members in it who are our listeners. And we often poll them for Hmm. what they want to hear from us, future guests, um, what products they've tried and they loved or didn't like so much um, topics, they trade tips and information with each other. And it's really, really valuable um, for us to drive our content. And so yeah, we um, asked them what kind of merch they would like to see from us. And overwhelmingly, it was a curated box of some sort. Mm-hmm. So we haven't gone down that road. Uh, to be honest, this is this would be very new territory for us. But mm-hmm. for Jill and I personally, as editors, and for what we do on the show, it would be very seamless for us, because we often like to say at the end of the day, what our podcast is about is we always are trying to edit it down for people. What are the really good products? And we have a, we yeah. have actually a series that we do once a month, The Damn Goods, where we review and edit products and let people know what's damn good and what's not so damn good. Um, and those have risen to be our most popular episodes. They're more popular even than interviews we've done with Victoria Beckham and Jonathan Van Ness. Um, mm. So it's quite incredible. People do value, um, I guess, our experience and, and our opinion when it comes to whether something is worth the buy. So I think subscription boxes or some kind of curated initiative um, is something we'd definitely be very interested in. Yeah, it seems like a good fit. Depending, mm-hmm. I mean, I would call it the damn good beauty box because that's people, people, <laughs> Um, I, I have this, uh, this philosophy that there's a, there's a segment, uh, there's a service that's going to unfold in the next few years. And that's, that's like, what's well, where it's already seeing it, but, uh, the curators and tastemakers of the world are really, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever look at what the, the wealthy have now, the average person will have in five, 10 years, whatever it is. And, you know, wealthy have extremely wealthy have people who shop for them who they know their sizes they know their clothes and they'll bring it to them take back things they don't want they have their own personal uh everything and so Mm -hmm. that can be uh uh commoditized and turned into like through software people people really want to follow a person who makes a playlist on Spotify mm-hmm, less mm-hmm. than by the albums of the songs and those are the tastemakers right. and there's going to be i think tastemakers in a lot of areas for food for fashion for all kinds of um you know i want to wear what this person wears mm-hmm. or i want to use the golf clubs that this person uses we're mm-hmm. all following tastemakers in some form or fashion so yeah seems seems like a good fit who knows see where you guys take yeah. it it'll be cool well, it's funny what? actually that you mentioned that because I, I was just reading how Nordstrom is starting, they're kind of starting this new initiative with ambassadors where there's a whole program that people can sign up for to become their ambassador where they will be selling, like promoting Nordstrom products or wearing it, let's say on their Instagram. And when people shop it, they get a 5% commission. Um, Hmm. But it's over and above kind of the current influencer program because they're actually treating them 
as pseudo employees kind of thing. Like there would be virtual Mm. meetings that they all go to. Um, So it's a very interesting model. And I understand that West Elm is already doing something like that. Um, And their program is actually called Tastemakers. And they work with Mm. kind of like designers and that sort of thing. But really, it's an extension of the affiliate programs that so many influencers have gotten rich from over the past decade. Yeah. So you guys speak to a lot of different brands. Um, I actually saw something really cool uh, recently or no, someone advertising uh, flip, which I thought was really neat. Um, Mm -hmm. But maybe we can get into that after. I thought that was a really cool concept, but in general, um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing uh, in the way people shop uh, in digital commerce? Like it's, it's, it's evolving right in front of our eyes and you guys kind of, I feel like have a front row seat to this. So what are Mm -hmm. some, what are some trends you're seeing happening? Um, Influencers are just everything in the beauty space right now. Um, We know that companies like L'Oreal, they're, there's, 70% of their media spend is with influencers. So we know that that conversion is happening. Um, We're now seeing the rise of beauty influencers dropping their own products, um, becoming their own mini, I would, you can't even call it a mini brand, like master brand. So um, Addison Rae, who's obviously huge, um, Patrick Starr, Dixie D'Amelio, Kristen Cavallari, they've all launched beauty brands in the last year. And I guess it's just kind of a numbers game where they know that they have millions of followers. They know that this percentage of their followers will buy something if they promote it. So why not just own the entire, you know, operation? Yeah. And I think the one thing that I would add to that beyond influencers is now we're seeing big name celebrities that could very easily get money injected into their businesses. Prime example, Ariana Grande just launched her line called REM Beauty. She just splashed out on a huge exclusive cover with Allure magazine. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting who who's kind of backing her. And it turns out that she's with this um, incubator company called Forma Beauty. And they actually own Morphe. They own Playa. They just scooped up a couple of other mm. brands. So these other direct-to-consumer brands, she's these big names are now partnering with them. And even with JLo's line, she partnered with a, a brand who specialized in launching products on HSN. And so before they would go out to the Cody's, the L'Oreal's, the, you know, Estee Lauder's of the world, if they wanted to collaborate and make a brand, because that's who you went to, those were the leaders in the space. And now these incubators are definitely just the ones to watch and the ones who are, I'm sure in Ariana Grande's case, she could have worked with whoever she wanted. She's the most, like one of the most followed people on Instagram. So perhaps she just went out to the highest bidder and said, who's going to give me that? They must be giving them a better deal. Yeah. yeah. Or, or she's less involved or more involved, like, you know, mm-hmm. but she's going direct. Key. She's, she's not white labeling, uh, another brand's products. She's going, she's having her stuff manufactured going directly to the cons- customer. Well, that remains to be seen. We haven't seen really okay. any pictures of the products okay. yet, which is really interesting. Okay. Maybe not her, but in, in general, Yes. Like I think a lot about I think a lot about this. Uh, hopefully, this is a fair analogy. I think about Michael Jordan, and when mm-hmm. he he has Jordan shoes, but he didn't own the distribution channel from him to the customer. Likey, like Nike licensed the ability to use his name on Air Jordans. He gets a very, very, very small piece of every pair sold. Yeah. Had he done that today, he probably would have his own shoe line that he went direct to consumer uh, is the same thing happening in beauty where 10 years ago, you might've had to license out a line under another label where now maybe it's a lot easier to, to create your own line, uh, source all the, the material, however you're making it and then just go direct. Are you seeing that more? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's been really interesting trends too, where like makeup artists, people like a Pat McGrath, she work, she's like the most, she like invents the trends backstage all Mm. around the world and has so for three decades. She's just incredible. But she worked for brands like CoverGirl. So she was like in the lab. She was like seeing how all the sausage was being made for decades. And then like Mm -hmm. 
then takes all that intel, right, and creates her own brand, where I think, you know, years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. But it's like, they're able to maybe, uh, or, or for instance, another good example of that is Victoria Beckham, she partnered with Estee Lauder kind of like understands the key workings what the metrics there, are, how many units you need to order something to sell through, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, and then takes all of that knowledge and launches her own line. So I think you're mm. seeing a lot of that happen too, where people are kind of doing their homework with these big brands. And then they're just like, bye, when their contract yeah. is done, and they go and do it over here, which why wouldn't yeah. they? But to answer yeah. your question, yeah, it's all about white label. And mm -hmm. I mean, like Seed Beauty is kind of the master incubator in LA and they launched Kylie Beauty before it was sold to Cody. And they they did white label the old fashioned way for years and years and years. Um, mm -hmm. And then they started creating their own line and their own products called ColourPop, which are very inexpensive because they own the manufacturing and it's all DTC. And from mm -hmm. there, they kind of springboarded and they launched like a body line and I don't remember what else they launched, but they Kylie, Kylie and Kim, and then Kylie mm -hmm. and Kim. Um, so, and a lot of people speculated and said, what's the difference then? What's the difference between ColourPop and uh, Kylie? But I mean, that's the beauty world. Um, but getting back to your question from a, I think another trend from a consumer perspective is just the improvements in online shopping. Obviously people mm. are shopping from home so much more during the pandemic. Uh, that's a challenge to do in beauty when you can't try on the product, you can't put a foundation on your arm to make sure that it matches first. So retailers have really had to rise to the occasion to to figure out this problem. And so we're, we're seeing this increase in AI beauty, um, virtual try-ons that allow people to try the product on virtually before they buy. So I think that's a, a huge trend that we're seeing. We're seeing companies like L'Oreal who are investing and, you know, acquiring these other um, tech companies so that mm -hmm. they can fold it into every single brand under their umbrella. Didn't Victoria Beckham also just recent, recently launch virtual try-on? Did I see oh, that probably. recently? <laughs> I think I see. I Probably. mean, the, it's it's with, a huge trend. It's it's kind of a must now. With with the with the quality of filters, it's it's amazing what can be projected on your face. Like it's mm -hmm. it's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was that that um, brand I saw that's an advertiser with with you, Flip, which I thought was genius. Mm -hmm. It's like shoppable videos. Like, I guess it's the tutorials putting on makeup and you can, you, I haven't used it, but I, I, I think I get the concept, but mm -hmm. I think things like this are also cutting edge. Maybe you can kind of explain it. You explain it better yeah, than I can. Yeah. But like, Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Flip, they, like they say in their own words that it's like, if TikTok and Amazon had a baby, um, that's, <laughs> you get Flip. So it's basically, yeah, downloadable shopping app. It's just available in the US right now, but they just got a huge injection of cash. So I think that they'll be rolling out wider um very soon and they i was really impressed with like the roster of brands they have they have like more than 200 different brands and yeah the whole idea is that you're going to be able to shop live in like a two-click process you're going to be able to see people do unboxings they're going to have like brand experts on there people from the brand and then i'm sure they will work with third-party influencers um to kind of get the word out about new launches and things like that i think the possibilities are sort of endless with a technology like that and and really, really quick. It's like, I think same day shipping, free returns. Like, I know this isn't an ad right now for them, but I just remember all these things because I just did the ad <laughs> and, yeah. and rewards too. And I think yeah. what appeals to, what's going to appeal to a lot of people is this whole, this is another big trend in the industry. And it's across, I think every industry is just authenticity because I think people got really um, disenchanted with reviews and everything. And they want to hear from real people who actually bought the product through that app and what their experience was with that product. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah. that flip is aiming to deliver. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think the whole, it's bringing that whole unboxing idea to an app and you can follow along as your favorite people um, unbox and give you their real take. I could see that working in many other industries as well, besides sure. just beauty. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I yeah. mean, we know that reviews are huge um, in terms of a driver for people want to know when they're purchasing something online, that the likelihood that it's going to work for you is high, you know, and yeah. reviews um, 
tend it gives you a lot of intel as long as they're legit. Um, so Flip says that they do include the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but I think the power of being able to see somebody do a review, we've seen this on Sephora already where they started collecting data so that when somebody leaves a review, they also include their age, their hair color, their skin color, their skin type. And that's very helpful. You know, if you're talking about a foundation and somebody's slagging it and somebody else loves it, well, that depends on who's using it. So when you can see that information, it tells you a lot. When you can visually see them on video and say, that kind of that person has similar features to me, that increases the chances that the product is going to work for you. So all of these things work in yeah. today's modern world where you're not necessarily going into brick and mortar and it just helps it just helps drive sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the bottom line is if you to any product you're looking at online, copy and paste the name of that product into Google and usually the number one suggested is w- with the review after. So like if you're looking mm-hmm. and it's it's the way I shop too. If I'm looking at a product, I copy the product title, paste it into Google, click on the videos tab. I want to watch videos of people setting it up, installing it, doing whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So flipping that around and and leading with reviews and kind of making reviews shoppable, Mm -hmm. um, it's very intuitive and it just makes sense Mm because I think in e-commerce, you know, you, you always have to look at emerging behaviors, like when when customers are doing like the the retweet is a great example of this on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you never used to be able to retweet someone years ago. I okay, I'm aging myself, but when Twitter started, if you wanted to retweet someone, you would copy their tweet and then yep. paste it in your own tweet, and then but then to give people credit, people would write retweet, and then it started shortening down to RT, and then you would mm-hmm. at the person, so you'd give them credit because you copy and pasted their tweet. You know, and Twitter mm-hmm. saw this, and Twitter saw people this emerging behavior. And they just said, well, let's enable a a button that can retweet. And to me, people shopping and searching for a review is an, is emerging behavior and they're solving for that behavior. Um, It's going to be successful. It's just, just makes Mm -hmm. sense. What about, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it'll be interesting to see if this trend continues though, if there will be any kind of regulation or, not because there was a scandal that kind of rocked Mm. the beauty world a couple of years ago with a skincare brand called Sunday Riley, um, where they were getting their employees to write reviews, fake reviews. And, you know, a disgruntled employee after they left, they basically let everybody see they had the receipts <laughs> and they showed it to the world. So it was literally an email from somebody top of the chain mm. at the company who was saying, this is how you write a review for this product. You give it a positive, mm. make sure you delete your IP, da, 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 da. Like it was very sneaky and very scandalous. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know a lot of people are skeptical of reviews as well. And I think that's something that will, perhaps continue to evolve. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. And I, and, well, and I guarantee uh, that happens in every industry as well, too. If you're yeah. looking for parts for your car or sporting equipment, the number one thing you can do as a brand to is, you know, try to get on all the top 10 lists and, and make sure they have, you are getting your affiliate revenue um, and reach out to people to do reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they're real or it, it's an interesting, that, that is an interesting challenge. Someone will solve it. I actually, believe it or not, watch a lot of reviews without sound. I just want to see the product. I want to yeah. see it being set up. And I actually give very little value to what the person is saying about it. I, but I, I, I'm probably different. Um, if someone's mm-hmm. saying one thing, other, it could be very different. So yeah, that mm-hmm. that's for sure is a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Something and I think I there's to... been, and th- there's just one final thing on that. I think it's really interesting. There's been like weaponization of reviews as well. Like a really recent example yeah. of that is with the Lula Rich documentary that's on Amazon right now, which profiled the founders of Lula Row, the leggings, the direct to consumer leggings brand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, I, and, I know, but I didn't know about this weaponization yes. of reviews. So they yeah, got attacked. So, they, it, so basically, Amazon put up this four-part series it is wild if anybody wants to 
watch it. What it's it? kind of like peeking behind the curtain of a cult. It's called Lula Rich is the name of the documentary Four four part series, very juicy. And, uh, but it's kind of like really going hard at the founders of Lula Row and how they ruined lives and all of this stuff. But the people who are still in Lula Row and selling the leggings, they then went on Amazon Prime and Amazon accounts and just totally bombarded the Amazon reviews for this particular show, just like one star, like tried to bury it. And so hmm. I think that you've seen that too with other people who are mad as hell at a brand or a restaurant or whatever. They'll go and they'll just like completely try to, um, you know, ruin their reputation online, essentially. So I think, you know, reviews are really a double-edged sword. Yeah, that's um, – and I wonder too how many – so obviously if if it affects ranking that's one thing mm -hmm. but there's also a bit of a renew a review numbness like when like yeah. when reviews when reviews started happening on products if there if there was a negative review i remember thinking i can't like i can't buy this like look at this mm -hmm. person they hate the product it's saying how horrible and how cheap it is mm -hmm. and and that really affected my mindset about buying it now that doesn't bother me anymore as long as the thing has like a 4.1 rating or higher Mm -hmm. Um, I'm used to seeing negative reviews. Like we've kind of gotten accustomed to that. And yeah. it, it's actually, it's actually a bit concerning if it's a 5.0 star and there's no negative mm -hmm. reviews, you got to be a little concerned about that, but, um, that's interesting. And maybe that's why videos are becoming a lot more trusted yeah. and yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I wanted to dive, you talked a little bit earlier about, uh, like affiliation with, with with brands and, and, and the beauty industry and everyone kind of launching their line, like something we talk a lot and think a lot about at bold is, is membership. Like subscriptions are what we do, but subscriptions is a part of a bigger topic, which is membership and customers wanting to be a member of a brand. Do you find, um, is that is, is membership as a whole, not like subscribing to a beauty product, but I'm a member of, I buy this beauty line, are, are beauty customers very loyal or do you find they bounce around a lot, try a lot of different things or is membership a core strategy for beauty brands? Um, I think it's going to become more and more important. And um, it's really interesting in this space because subscription boxes have been around for about a decade. Birchbox was, I think the first one. And then there's top box allure magazine has one. I mean, everybody has tried this at some point or another for, to varying degrees of success. Mm -hmm. Fab fit fun, of course. Um, but I think, and I kind of thought, Oh, maybe people are a bit tired of these because I think there's a lot of excitement, maybe off the hop, just from a discovery point of view. Ooh, I'm going to get the allure subscription box. It's going to be all these full size samples of like very expensive things. And I get to try them. Um, but I think we've kind of moved away from that discovery model to where people just want like that value for products that they know and trust. And I think a really good example of that right now is beauty pie, which is a brand out of the UK founded by Marsha Kilgore. She's like a serial entrepreneur in the beauty space. She's created like five or six startups at this point. Uh, she's the creator of Bliss Spas, Soap and Glory, which she sold to Boots for $25 million. Fun fact, she's actually Canadian. Um, <laughs> but she just launched in 2016 Beauty Pie, which is all about buying her models, like buying premium beauty products, basically wholesale for a membership price each month. So you, there's like different tiers of membership mm -hmm. and you get like the, you know, La Mer quality face serum for like half the price and you're getting it mm -hmm. delivered to your door. And she just got an injection of $20 million. I believe it, that was made public last week to kind of expand and grow that business. And so something like that, where people think they're getting something exclusive or something that's a deal. I think that that's really where the future of that model is rather than these discovery things where it's like kind of a it's a bit of a wash. You're like, maybe the first one will be really good, but then you kind of end up being a bit disappointed. You have to give half the box to your sister. You'd rather <laughs> like shop the stuff that you know you want and will use. Um, yeah. And I think that, that that is a major key. And someone else who's done it on a more micro level to massive success is a UK influencer called Caroline, Hi Caroline Hirons. She's kind of like a huge beauty skincare influencer. She's like, you know, skincare advice with no bullshit. She's got a ton of like training, like proper training from skincare brands. And she cr created these kits that she called skin rocks. And she's like partnering with brands, but you know that whatever is in that particular 
kit that month, she personally has approved it and says it's amazing. So mm. the trust is totally in her and like they sell out in like under an hour each and every time. So I think yeah. you're seeing it on like that macro level and on the micro level, but it's more about, you know, value or being truly excited about the stuff you're going to test. Yeah. Or yeah. to your point, what you were saying earlier, Jay, it's, it's about, it's about, it's a way of shopping a curated box that from mm -hmm. somebody, an individual who you trust. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it's a brand, something like Birchbox or something like Allure, I think people are savvy enough to know it's just what's being promoted and they don't necessarily have that same level of trust yeah. where mm -hmm. they're going, okay, Carlene and Jill approved this. We know it's going to be good, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and Birchbox and all, a lot of the big ones, they're getting those products completely for free. And a lot of the mm -hmm. products are actually being, are paying to be Mm -hmm. in the box as a promotion. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think, I think that's kind of well known now. And, and so you're right. The trust isn't there. Mm -hmm. People want to have a membership to the it's person. It's actually quite genius that they're making money by selling an empty box that other yeah. people pay to be in. They have a, <laughs> they have a, a they, ha they are a distribution God, channel. That's genius. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We, we see it because we have, a lot of subscription brands using using bowl and we see it and this works we see it in every industry mm -hmm. and in crafting in fishing gear it's yeah. they they once they get Pets. to yep once you get to around ten thousand or more uh subscribers you can actually you can get brands will want to put their products in for free or even pay to be included in mm -hmm. it and then typically there's like a, a pamphlet with some information about the products and then their hope is it drives mm -hmm. people back to to buy more, but um, yeah, that's a it's a big business model. It, uh, I think uh, I think Jillian Harris is just absolutely slayed in that game. There's nobody, I, I so many people I that I follow on Instagram just personally that you know I, they're not necessarily really into beauty or fashion, but they're like, my Jilly box arrived today, and I'm just yeah. like, wow, you bought that. It's kind of it it really is surprising to me, and I know that they sell out so far in advance to even as a vendor, you can't even get into them until like 2024 or something crazy. Yeah. I, I spoke with her quite a bit when she was launching mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. and it was, uh, it was a, it was a challenge. Like it wasn't, she actually what never originally wanted it to be, uh, a membership or a subscription because she didn't want to have to have boxes on a regular cadence. She wanted mm -hmm. it really, you know, she might have a box this month and the next one might not yeah, be for drops. five or six months. Yeah. yeah. And so you could, you could get on a list and then mm -hmm. when the box would come out, she would email the list of however many thousands of people. And then it was a mad rush, but people really wanted to be able to pay to make sure they got in there. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, but it was interesting seeing, and then the first couple that went out, it was mad chaos, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, you know, Gartner Research, I, they, they, there's, they had a report out a couple of years ago. They're saying that over 75% of D to C brands are going to have mm -hmm. some aspect of membership. Um, mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and, and, so, and whether that's monetized or not monetized. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, I'm really curious to see how it plays out in the beauty industry. I, um, mm -hmm. one of the things I think about, and t t I'm curious to get your thoughts on this is uh, you mentioned the curated boxes, people aren't as crazy. That doesn't, that, that might've been a fad. Maybe it'll stick, maybe it won't. Mm -hmm. But what about, it seems like exclusivity, like even, so that's Jillian Harris. Let's use her as an mm -hmm. example. If I, I would want to be uh, a member, a subscribed paid member to have early access or exclusive access to products when, when she comes out with her well, I don't wear it. My wife does her her onesie romper. <laughs> yeah, the, but to have access to that before mm -hmm. uh, before anyone else, like to me, that's value. Like I think, like Kylie Cosmetics, like she should be having a membership. And so, when a new color lipstick drops, before everyone else gets it, members have it. And I and I I doesn't seem like a lot of beauty brands are doing that yet. It seems like mm -hmm. untapped potential. Or I could yeah, be wrong. Like what are your, there's um well i think sephora does it for their sale and that yeah. that creates a huge frenzy so there's different levels and tiers of being at a sephora insider they keep changing it rouge insider i forget i'm sorry but basically like 
the deals are the best the first day of the sale, right? Like, you know, you right. have your cart ready to go and you want to check out and you want to get what you, you really want and restock on, but only the premium members get access the first day of the sale, which I think is absolutely genius because it creates a frenzy and people, even in our Facebook chat room, people will say like, what's in your Sephora sale cart or your Ulta 21 days of beauty cart. Like, I think mm-hmm. that there are early access for those deals is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the points. I mean, and I think that's why in the beauty space, you typically see it with retailers. All the retailers have a, you know, some sort of points system where, you know, you buy, you're in the points and you can use them toward future sales. I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits of a membership system. And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if it would make as much sense with sort of unilateral brands, right? With retailers, well, you have, you can purchase so many different products under the umbrella of Sephora. I'm not sure if it would work as well with just a single brand. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty Are sure you- if it was really profitable, somebody would be doing it on a huge scale. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there in the beauty. Yeah. Are either of you a subscribe to any beauty subscriptions? Any that you thought have done really well mm-hmm. or not done not so well? And you don't have to eat. Well, I'll leave it there for now, actually. <laughs> uh, I have not just because I just have so much stuff. It's just like I don't necessarily have the the need for it in the same way a traditional like beauty consumer would. Um, but yeah, I, I've received them in the past and I think it's interesting. I The one that I think is probably what I'd be the most intrigued by is the detox market, which is a whole online retailer that does like clean and green brands and they have a model where you get like the September box, you get the October box, whatever, and you can prepay and you save if you buy in bulk. And I think that they do a really good job of curation on those because they're always bringing in new, new stuff. Yeah. Hard to find stuff. I'm more about the convenience. I like the subscription models that have come out where my new toothbrush head on my electric toothbrush will arrive every three months just when I need I don't want to have to think about that so I think that's really smart that they've done it with products that you know you're going to replace on a regular basis like feminine Mm -hmm. care is doing that now I think that's so Mm -hmm. smart um Mm -hmm. yeah I think those those ones are going to win in this for sure yeah and well some of the biggest bigger brands using using our software there's there's eyelash companies there's nail companies Mm -hmm. and it's they're replenishable products that need that they don't wear forever yeah um i want to dive in a little bit into uh social selling i guess um and we talked about a little bit earlier with like the the videos but uh i know recently uh kylie launched shoppable videos on her site um I think social media is transforming the way people are buying. We're seeing numbers that um, uh, Estee Laudier, Laudier, sorry, I always say it wrong. Laudier? Louder. Louder, louder, louder. Yeah. Um, Three quarters of their marketing budget is now spent on influencers. Uh, L'Oreal, 30% of their media spend is through digital channels. Like these numbers were probably zero a few years ago and now it's the majority Mm -hmm. um how how can brands i guess what or what are you seeing that brands are doing right and 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 maybe opportunities that they can make that social shopping experience even better Mm -hmm. i guess let's Um, say do you do you know what would you say are some brands that are doing it really well let's start there And it goes back to what Nordstrom is doing and those other brands. Mm -hmm. And even there was a headline, I think, from yesterday that L'Occitane, which Mm -hmm. is a skincare company out of France, and they filed for bankruptcy, I think, last year or something. And they they are now pivoting to this new model of ambassadors. So everyone will be selling online. And they're actually even tapping Mm -hmm. old sales or sorry, ex-salespeople who used to work at counter for them can now sell their products and, you know, they'll probably create like a web page, but in this day and age, you don't mm-hmm. have to stock anything. Um, mm-hmm. They'll do the training and then you get the commission. So it's kind of the old Avon or Tupperware model reinvented is um, where we're seeing quite a bit of the, the innovation. But I think also 
yeah, sorry, I'll leave it at that. No, I. It's funny you said Avon and Tupperma because in my head I was thinking you, when you said the way your your mom shopped, it was mm-hmm. yeah the the network marketing parties, your yeah. neighbor saying come over and we have them in our neighborhood. It just it it, uh, but that's there's there is that need and that desire to to buy from friends and to trust friends, but that mo- the model is old mm-hmm. and needs to be revolutionized. And so I guess yeah. like I was going to ask about influencers and where you see that going, mm-hmm. but you kind of answered that. Um, or is there, is there any other trends? Like how, what do you think the influencer space is going to look like in, in a couple years from now? Like, what are you seeing there? Well, Jill, you still, had a good point about work? reward it- style and how it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. rapidly evolving. Yeah. And I mean, I think you see reward style really, um, there's a really great podcast, actually. It's, I think it's called Under the Influence. Um, and it's hosted by a great journalist, totally forgetting her name right now, but she just basically dove deep into the whole mommy culture and, uh, you know, people, um, you know, the first iterations of mommy bloggers and mommy influencers mm. who just uh, really started recommending stuff on their blogs 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and they made a fortune um, because of reward style. So it, uh, she does a whole episode with the founder of reward style. It's really fascinating. And they claim that they've created more self-made female millionaires than any other company ever in a, in less than a <laughs> decade. Um, so but what I'm seeing, and I, I just think the whole reward style concept is genius, right? It's like we're getting kickbacks from the outfits that we're wearing, and it's just like easy money. It's like the money while you sleep kind of idea. And why shouldn't you get, you know, a bit of a kickback if people are buying the jacket that you recommended? You absolutely should. But now I, I think that you're going to start to see Instagram, Facebook, they're going to, you can see it already happening. They're trying to cannibalize the whole um, affiliate model yeah. yeah the whole affiliate a social social selling model and you know like, like it to know it is which is like reward style has now rebranded themselves as ltk like it to know it they were the first people how many years ago to put l like it to know it if you want to know what's in this instagram post they they were monetizing instagram posts way before instagram could ever do that and now i think yeah. that instagram people are used to shopping like that now and you now instagram is like wait a minute we want to be we're going to make it so people can shop and get out of here kind of (laughs) reward style. So it's very interesting to see how that whole model has um, evolved. And I think people or you know, brands like, like it to know it reward style, they're going to continue to try to evolve to be like the leader in the space, but they're going to have a lot of people nipping at their heels. These, these big, big brands. And I also Mm -hmm. just think the whole, new security updates with iPhones, it's completely, it's, if one thing has like devastated the direct-to-consumer business model in the last year, it's been the phrase, ask app not to track. Because mm-hmm. anybody that I know that works in that space in marketing, they like instantly lost so many customers because that was their whole model. They bought into Facebook and Instagram ads so heavily and tracked their customers, you know, top of funnel, bottom of funnel, all that stuff. And I don't, I don't really know what I'm talking about on that front, but I do know that this has completely um, devastated their, their marketing plans and they've had to sort of regroup and go, Hey, well, if we can't track our customers online anymore, like what are we going to be doing to kind of like um, step up and, and find new ways to monetize social selling or monetize social um, ads and stuff. Yeah. But someone's still going to win. Someone's mm-hmm. still going to, people are still going to buy For beauty sure. products. Like the people, I, my stance on the iOS updates is, mm-hmm. uh, if you, if you had a solid marketing strategy before, yeah. and it wasn't just based on customer acquisition costs, ad spend, acqu- acquire customers through ads, yeah. then, and if you had a solid value that your customers wanted, they were loyal it shouldn't hurt you that much, but if your only strategy was acquiring through yeah. ad spend, it would, it will be very hard. Um, I was just on a podcast earlier and, and talking about this topic. And I, I remember recently uh, a couple years ago now, but a, a brand I knew they got delisted from Google. I can't remember exactly what they did, but they had, they had, they did some, some black hat SEO things that weren't quite up to par, but they got delisted and they thought it was going to, be the end of their business so that he said he had two things he could do he could either close up shop like he's not in google you can't search and find his store or he could try and find like every other channel that people might 
find. And so he got really active in every Facebook group and forums, communities, influencers, social media. Straight to Reddit. Yep. That's where I would yep. go. That, absolutely, yes, Reddit is huge now. Um, and he went through all these and and drove traffic through these channels and was able to keep the keep this business going. Sales, of course, dropped a bit, but kind of slowly came back. Uh, he ended up getting listed back on Google and everything was fine. But at the time he did, he had almost gotten sales back to a stable point. And then getting listed on Google was just like a bonus. And I often think brands should think about like to not be reliant on one channel for acquisition. Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting how this plays out, but I, the, the bottom line is people are still going to buy beauty products and the savvy yeah. brands will find ways to connect with their customers. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, we're all at the week, we're all sort of at the mercy of an algorithm, aren't we? Like think about how much yeah. Instagram has changed in the last 10 years. And every time we gripe, about oh it's not chronological anymore it's not this yet i'm still opening it for an hour a day at minimum hey, you know so i'm afraid to, it, to like too yeah. many pictures of babies because if i do that all i'm going to get is pictures of babies oh, and if exactly. i say happy birthday to too many people times then all i get is birthday posts so yeah, yeah. that's exactly right but oh, we, it was funny. interesting we we actually interviewed for a recent episode aaron kleinberg who's the co-founder of metier creative and one of the original founders of Coveture. And uh, we asked her this question and she had the same sentiment that it's really important for brands to stay diverse and not be at the mercy of, of Facebook necessarily. Yeah. But she has her own brand as well. And she said, surprisingly for conversion, the strongest thing that's worked for them are their own newsletters. Yeah. Um, just, your- you know, con- uh, being in contact and connecting with their existing consumers um, that's what really drives sales. So mm-hmm. interesting. Cause that's kind of an old school model that I hadn't been hearing much about. And, and she said, Oh no, don't, don't discount that one. Never, never. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's owned, owned media, your own, like that's your own right. medium. Your own list. So mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I have a few more questions. Are you guys okay for time for a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. you might see my yeah. son pop in the background, my dog. Bark. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I know we're just a little bit over time, but I wanted to get, there was one, one um, topic I want to talk about on, on uh, personalization and um, a trend actually where one of, one of my good friends actually has a software company that builds kind of questionnaire survey style experiences. Um, and we've seen this in a number of uh, uh, beauty and clothing brands. Uh, I kind of call it micro commitments. It actually, it's like, it adds more clicks to a purchase, but mm-hmm. generally increases conversion, even though it's like seven more clicks before you get to a checkout, you're answering questions. Normally people would say reduce as many clicks as possible. Um, we've seen dog pet food brands introduce this where you ask questions how big is your dog does your dog have how much does your dog move and you answer and then it recommends a certain type of pet food um are you seeing this trend in in beauty these like questionnaires and quizzes to create a really personalized offering or um what are you seeing there yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely seeing just a, a like a macro, like if zooming out a bit, just a whole like gamification of beauty. And this is part and parcel of it. And I mean, this goes back to our magazine days. Caroline and I both come from print magazines. We're dinosaurs that way. And um, I used to write some of the quizzes. I used to write the beauty quizzes oh. in the magazine. <laughs> and at the end, it would tell you what lipstick to get. Okay, so I could be hired by some of these companies. But um, I do think um, this is a new way to shop and it definitely gets people to spend more time on your website. Um, one of our show partners has been, uh, or in the past has been function of beauty. And I mean, they're personalizing it so much that you're even getting, you know, your own scent, your name is on the bottle or whoever you want to gift it to their name is on the bottle and people are paying no problem for that extra level of customization. And then Mm. I think other personalization trends that are customization trends that I think are really valuable and um, uh, are like consultations that are virtual. So an example of that is 
the Inky List, which is a, which is a really affordable skincare brand. They just launched this whole like virtual consult on their website. It's like hashtag Ask Inky, and you can ba- basically get like someone on online with you in like two minutes or less, and they ba- you basically say, "I've got the zit going on. Like, what do I order? What do I buy?" And then it's like this mm. whole seamless transaction. You're speaking to people in real time that can help you and give you that um advice they're like the old school counter trainers but they're like in your computer and you can access them at any time and i still think that power of the recommendation is still huge excuse me hugely important especially when it comes to skincare and skincare sales and i um i think that it's it's definitely going to continue in that way and then just the gamification of it it's like people were collecting makeup palettes like they were collecting beanie babies beanie babies back in the day and people mm-hmm. like they were just buying it to it's like almost like collectors items and then you see brands like pharmacy which is a skincare brand um they just did this whole like a virtual game called the pharmacy beauty lab where you can like you're like virtually on one of their farms to like make one of your custom serums and like a couple other brands had activations in animal crossing and things Mm. like that and just they want you to come deeper and deeper into the brand experience and the brand world and those are very easy ways to get you to spend time with them and then probably convert right yeah but I that's think we're, what we're seeing that's actually like the next level of that, and you're seeing it mm-hmm. more in the U.S. than in Canada, are kind of um, doctor-led, like a medicalization of this personalization. That doesn't really make sense. But in the medical space, there's this personalization. So, you know, apostrophe skincare, for example, mm-hmm. um, you can actually take a picture of your face, your skin, and a virtual virtually a dermatologist will diagnose your skin and you answer a quiz and you'll actually have a prescription at the end of it and um they'll send you a prescription and you don't have to go into a drugstore um so we're seeing that i know with even like migraine headaches you can go onto a website talk about what kind of migraine you're getting and again get a prescription at the end of it and of course there's like online therapy um that we have a partner who's um does online therapy but i forget their name right now talkspace talkspace thank you sorry talkspace um but i just (laughs) think that's so critical in today's day and age and it's just a, a next level i mean that's beyond personalization but i think it's interesting that it's happening beyond the typical consumer space in more of a medical sphere um is uh it's actually really convenient well, I think everything like telemedicine is, is, uh, is going to be a thing. Like we're not, it's going to, and it, all these things are kind of coming together. You know, we're having our meetings over zoom. We're having mm-hmm. our therapy over zoom. We're talking to a doctor over zoom. Like to me, it's already since the pandemic hit, it's seen when someone messages and says, Hey, do you want to grab lunch? I want to, I'd love to talk to you about this idea or something. Like it seems archaic to me. I, I my brain goes to, why can't we have a zoom call? Why do I have to drive 45 minutes to meet you? So I think we've already started to expect that and be comfortable with it. And so now we're going to start seeing every industry adapt to this and Mm -hmm. it just makes sense. And what about um, uh, like augmented AR, AI, VR, um, leveraging technology? because that's part of it, trying on things, trying on makeup, mm-hmm. trying on clothes, seeing products in your house. Um, this just seems to be a trend that's picking up speed every month. Um, do you think that's, well, would that replace a person or do, would it augment and support? You'd have a, virtu- a person plus the ability to, I guess they could recommend something and then you could virtually try it on and still be talking with them. Or do you see those competing at all? Um, I would say that it's just not there yet. Like, yes, there's all kinds of tools and tricks and everything to try on lipstick. Pretty much every single brand has it now. It's just like baseline. But does it replace the experience of going in and like putting on that sparkly lipstick and seeing how you feel with it on? Like, I don't think so. And also the complexion products is a real challenge. Buying foundation and concealer online is still a huge challenge. There's tons of software companies trying to address this challenge. Um, For instance, uh, there's 
an Instagram and website, a very basic website called Find Foundation, F-I-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. I just discovered them on Instagram. And they basically are, have created a database where you're like, you plug in the shade that you are in another brand and you're shopping for another brand. It'll tell you which one to buy. So that's helpful. And frankly, I think it's better technology than the one that's on the Sephora website, which I find mm. to be quite glitchy. And there's another brand that's like doing it at a more, I guess it's less basic level. It's called Mime, M-I-M-E, but still I find it's not as seamless as just going in the store, having somebody swatch the color on your face. And uh, I don't, I don't know. It, yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, actually, I think what's... It is, but I think one thing that's really genius that came out in the last year was Pinterest now has, I believe it's a search engine where you can put in like a picture of yourself or your skin mm. tone. And mm. so the content, mm. it's like a search engine and then it'll deliver the content based on that skin tone. And I think Jill and I were just talking about this the other day because we were interviewing an, an LA makeup artist. Um, she's got some big name clients and we were kind of saying, what's the easiest way to find your eyeshadow? Cause there's so many things to consider. And we had a good chat about how it's kind of a fun game to find your makeup artist doppelganger that looks the most like you in terms of your skin tone and your eye color and your hair color. Because once you find that, then you can just follow that person on mm. Instagram and all of their recommendations are so much more relevant to you versus mm. just following a makeup artist whose work you like. And maybe they're just always showing celebrities and models, but the relevance isn't there. And mm -hmm. I really think yeah. that's kind of the next level of what people are looking for now. They're, they've gone beyond, you know, we've seen it all. We've seen all the eye candy, but we still want things that are relevant to us. So I think that was just so genius with Pinterest. We can't, because now you're looking at a, a page filled with inspiration and, you know, looks that are, relevant to you that have recommendations that you can actually use. So that takeaway mm -hmm. piece is really key. And I think that's what beauty brands need to work toward, regardless of what your offering is. Yeah. And it's so different than fashion, right? Or even home stuff where you can create like virtual mock-ups of your living room. Like I know there's all those <laughs> software out there, but beauty at the end of the day really is about a feeling and you just can't capture it online. Sure, you can restock your favorite foundation, but I think you're seeing the biggest players in beauty doubling down on retail, doubling down on in-store experiences. So you have Target coming out with a collaboration with Ulta, absolutely genius. So they have a store in store. Ulta is now in Target stores. Um, and then you have Sephora doing the same thing with Kohl's. So they're reaching uh, Sephora, you know, typically speaking is in more urban centers. So where Kohl's would be more in like less populated areas. So they're bringing the, those products to that customer base and same thing at Target, like, you know, somebody might be going in to stock up on their drugstore shampoo, but they might be lured in to try the $25 brow pomade that normally they'd only ever get at Sephora and they'd never get to see it in person. And right. Glossier just got like a huge tens of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, that's the brand I was talking about before that's direct to consumer. And all of that money, I think it's like $20 million is being allocated for IRL experiences in real mm. life. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, I don't know. I, mm. I don't know if I'm alone in that, but I do think you're seeing these big players commit and recommit to retail. And that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Well, I think I want to end on one last question, probably for both of you, you can each, uh, I'd like to hear both of your thoughts um, for, for beauty e-commerce brands listening right now. Is there, what would be one piece of advice you maybe can give them or thing you, you know, you want them to pay attention to or focus on you've, you've spent a lot of time in the beauty industry. You see the winners, you see the losers. Um, what can beauty brands listening do to, to win and to be on, on, on the, the right side of the trends in the next few years. Whoever wants to go first. You want me to take that one, Carly? Sure. You, you go can ahead. start. No, you go, go ahead. ahead. If, you, if you have something to say, go for it. Um, I was going to say just on the back of what Jill just said, I think collaborating and co-branding is so strong. You know, if you're a brand that's sort of just coming up, 
um, and you want more traction, I think mm. partnering with somebody who in the old world would have been considered a competitor is just such a smart move. And, you know, see, taking that glass half full and, and that, that point of view that there is enough for everybody. Um, I think that's just so smart. And what she was talking about, these retailers who are getting together. And I think, you know, you have to admit when you have a weak spot, you know, so there, with the rise of clean beauty, which is a huge trend, a little bit a controversial, um, what that actually means, but um, we've seen these store in store approaches where if you have a typical, let's say drugstore um, that does really well with beauty, but just can't get a handle on this clean beauty trend. I mean, why don't you just partner with the detox market or Credo mm. or whoever um, and let them have a wall and let them curate it for you. And that can live online. And, and, you know, we are starting to see that. I think where there, there's more opportunity to do that is we're now starting to see um, curated uh, retailers and sites for people of color, which has been a huge underserved market and mm -hmm. beauty forever, you know, and there's an incredible amount of buying power there that just hasn't been tapped. Um, so we're now, we had the founder of 13 Loon, um, Nyako Greco, um, who was on our show a few months ago, and she launched 13 Loon, which is pretty much exclusively founders of color led brands, um, beauty brands that people can shop. And I mean, that would be a great partner for, for any of these retailers, Nordstrom or whoever to pick up and mm. do a, do a store in store, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I, I might add to that, and it's kind of uh, adjacent to that conversation is just that there are just so many direct to consumer brands out there now. And I feel like in the beauty space, um, you know, we had Sharon Shooter on our show. She's the, this huge trailblazer in the beauty business. She founded uh, Ama Beauty. And, you know, she talked a lot on our show. She's a woman of color and she talked a lot on our show just about, um, you know, beauty brands, you know, people really see their personal values aligning with beauty, their beauty brand purchases versus like, you know, so if they, a brand had a scandal, people would maybe like boycott mm. their, their lipstick versus way more so than like boycott their favorite soda. So the, mm. there's this real personal connection and like anything you can do to sort of like make your brand, you know, a, a be very clear about your brand values and know what you stand mm. for. I think that also makes your brand stand out, whether it's giving back or aligning with a cause or something of that nature. Like that means a lot to consumers, especially Gen Z consumers. Like they're looking for yeah. sustainability, vegan, cruelty-free, all of those things. And what you're doing to, you know, improve the lives of LGBTQ plus people, for instance, that's just like one yeah. very random example. But I do think that that is, um, would be a key to kind of like hooking people into your brand is like it there's just they're just a dime a dozen now the dtc brand so you really need to have that heart that soul that personality and stand for something um i think it's more important than ever yeah that makes a lot of sense well both both great pieces of advice Thank you, Jill and Carlene, so much for coming on. This has been really good. We could go on, but I don't want to take all day. Um, where would you like to send people to learn a little bit more about you and what you do? Um, so our website is breakingbeautypodcast.com and our Instagram handle is at breakingbeautypodcast.com as well. And then we have a private Facebook chat room. Um, you could just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. It's a, a private group. So if anybody's interested on the real tea behind the beauty products, that's where you'll find us. And every single week, our show is dropped on Wednesdays. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week.